I'll ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, we moved into the accounts of the 10 plagues. And again, we're not going to take each plague one by one. We're just about going to go through a chapter at a time here. And, and again, the entire plague narrative from chapter 7 verse 8 through uh, on through chapter 12 is really to show us how God demonstrates his power through Pharaoh, a man who is already hardened, a man who's already made up his mind, a man that God already knows there's nothing that's going to convince this man to release my people. And he's chosen to use him as an instrument to demonstrate his power to Israel, to the Egyptians, and to all the nations that he is God. And the reason why he's doing that is that all the world might believe in the God of Israel. He's a missions-minded God from the very outset of Scripture. I'm thankful for that. And so what we're doing is, instead of just preaching all of these as a unit, is we're taking the time through the accounts of the plagues to really focus in on Pharaoh and to see the kind of tendencies that we have uh, in conjunction with him and how, how we have the tendency to be just as hard-hearted as Pharaoh is, and really to see how his hard-heartedness affected his life. And so that's the direction that we're taking through the plagues, and tonight will be no different. Uh, we're going to read uh, the entire chapter of chapter 8, and so I'll do my best to just read on uh, through it, because we're not going to cover every verse through the course of the chapter. Again, just want to really highlight Pharaoh's responses and see how they apply to us. So Exodus chapter 8. In verse number one, the Bible says, And the Lord said, uh, spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber and upon thy bed and into the house of thy servants and upon thy people and into the ovens and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, say unto Aaron, stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers and over the ponds and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. And the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord." And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? Some of the strangest words of scriptures. And he said, Tomorrow. <laughs> let's, let's have one more night with the frogs here. One, one preacher I know that preached through this text entitled this uh, message, Pharaoh's Infatuation with Frogs. Uh, glutton for punishment. I thought about just preaching this plague and preaching about a glutton for punishment. The Lord didn't lead that way. Tomorrow. And he said, be it according to thy word, 
that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs, which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast, and all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee and upon thy servants and upon thy people and into thy houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground whereon they are. The flies are going to be all over the air and all over the ground. <laughs> Not fun. Verse 23, and I will put, notice this difference here. I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so. And there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses, into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted, destroyed, ruined by reason of the swarm of flies. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God, notice this, in the land, not in the wilderness, in the land of Egypt. Verse 26, And Moses said, It is not meet to do so, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? We will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only ye shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people Tomorrow, but let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people, 
there remained not one. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. At this time also, neither would he let the people go. He said he would, but he didn't. I want to preach to you tonight a message entitled this, Too Hard to Obey God. Too Hard to Obey God. So may God bless reading his word. You can be seated. We'll consider what the Lord has for us in our text tonight. You might come across sometimes when you feel like something's too hard. Something's too hard for you. You might feel like a particular type of job is too hard, that it's too physically demanding or it's too high stress or it's uh, too technological that you can't handle it. It's just too hard. You might feel like dieting is just too hard. If you're anything like me, your favorite foods are all the stuff that clogs your arteries and makes you gain weight, you know, like French fries and ice cream and, and fried chicken, you know, anything that tastes any good is bad for you. It's very unfortunate, but you can find that it's just too hard to diet. It's too hard to give up the sugar, too hard to give up the carbs, too hard to give up uh, the, the pop, too hard to give up things. You might think that exercise, working out is too hard, that running is too hard on my knees, lifting is too hard on my back, it's just too hard to work out. Uh, my wife was talking to uh, Candace last Saturday at, at the Estes Park trip about uh, going down to Colorado Springs and doing the Manitou Incline. If you don't know what that is, it's basically a staircase straight up the mountain you gain about 2,011 feet in seven-eighths of a mile. <laughs> and so it is basically straight up. They say some points of it is like a 65% grade. Uh, most of it's about 45% grade. And so it's an incredibly challenging trip. And I was looking at some pictures on it, thought about putting one up on the screen. But I'll just let you know, looking at that, I'm just thinking, that's too hard. That's too hard, you know. So there are things that we come across that just seem to be insurmountable. Things that seem to be too hard for us to do. Sometimes it can feel like it's just too hard to obey God. That what, what he's asking us to do or what his word demands that we do or, or would ask us to do, it just seems too hard. Has it ever been too hard for you to develop a consistent walk with God? To consistently read your Bible day in and day out and spend meaningful quality time in prayer with God? A lot of times you come to the place where you just throw in the towel and you're like, this is just too hard. I just can't get this down. It's too hard to get out of bed and go to church sometimes, right? <laughs> too hard. It's too hard to go out on outreach. I don't know enough. If I have to talk to people, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about the gospel. It's just too hard. We might say that it's too hard to give in my current financial situation. To do what God requires in the tithe as well as additional offerings that the church may have. We've got Faith Promise uh, missions coming up at the end of October with our Global Impact Month in the month of October. And you're just thinking, I, I know that missions is important, but in my current situation, it's just going to be too hard to commit to something like that. Some kids in here might say it's too hard to obey mom and dad. They're unreasonable. What they ask me to do is just too hard. But there might be a husband in here that says, show love to my wife. 
How am I supposed to show love to a woman like that? On the flip side, there could be a, a lady in here that says, I know the Bible says I'm supposed to respect my husband and I'm supposed to submit to my husband, but how can I respect and submit to a man who acts like that, who talks to me like that? And you're just thinking it's too hard for me to do what God's telling me to do. Some say it's too hard to quit drinking. It's too hard to get off drugs. It's too hard to stop smoking weed. It's too hard to uh, stop smoking or chewing tobacco. I mean, I've been on it for too long. It's just too hard. But listen to this. Sometimes it's not that it's too hard. It's that you are too hard. That you can come to a place in your life where your heart becomes so calloused that you just find obeying God to be the most difficult thing to do in your life right now. It's not that obedience is hard. It's that the heart is hard. Pharaoh right now is in a place where his heart has become so hardened to God that he simply won't do what God's told him to do. Release my people, let them go that they may sacrifice to me. It's not a very challenging command. It's a very simple command. And yet he's, he's not doing what God has clearly told him over and over again that he needs to do. And so what God is having to do now is he's having to bring these plagues upon Pharaoh and his goal in bringing these plagues is to display his wonder, to display his power so that all the earth might know that he is God and him alone. It's, it, these wonders are designed to convince Pharaoh of who God is. And a lot of times, you know, we have this discussion about the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. The good question to ask here is, how is the Lord hardening his heart? He's trying to convince him by signs and wonders. This is a little bit about what we looked at last week. He's trying to convince him by signs and wonders of who he is. And sometimes God's attempts and desire to convince you of who he is, if your heart is already hard, all they serve to do is make it harder and harder and harder. And that's exactly what's happened in Pharaoh's life. He's refusing to obey one simple command from God. Why is he struggling to obey God? The simple answer is this. His heart was hard. See, hard hearts keep us from obeying God. What I want to do tonight is I want to show you exactly how that works how it is that if you have a hard heart, it keeps you from obeying God. Three ways here that we want to discuss tonight. The first one is this, that hard, a hard heart only obeys when God forces his hand. A hard heart only obeys God when his hand is forced. What we see here in the beginning part of chapter 8 is that uh, because Pharaoh's heart was hard, God had to force his hand. He tells Moses and Aaron to go and, and stand before Pharaoh and he's to uh, tell him to let my people go. And if Pharaoh refuses to let them go, then he's to tell him that the frogs are going to come. That I'm going to bring a plague of frogs and it's going to get really bad. These frogs are going to be throughout all the land. They're going to be in your houses. 
They're going to be in your bedrooms. They're going to be in your beds. <laughs> They're going to be in your ovens. They're going to be in your, your bread-making troughs. They're going to be all over the place. And apparently... Pharaoh rejected God's word again because that's exactly what happens. Aaron goes at the command of God and he stretches out his hands over the river and the frogs begin to come up and they begin to fill the land. And I mean, the entire land of Egypt is filled with frogs. I have no idea where they came from, but in our neighborhood this summer, we've been dealing with a little bit of a toad infestation. We got all these little toads that are just running all over our grass. I mean, I, I think I ran over probably four or five of them mowing the yard yesterday. Uh, but you just see these things at the last second just hopping and trying to escape. And the kids all summer long have been collecting these, these frogs and they're putting them in Tupperware containers and they're, they're putting them up on the, on the kitchen island. And, you know, it got to where it was so much and so frequently that I eventually had to tell the kids, hey, take the frogs outside. Frogs don't belong in the house, <laughs> you know? So we have, we have some problems with frogs there, but I'm going to tell you this. It was nothing like the problems they were dealing with. We're talking about frogs all over the place. Can you imagine you're in the kitchen and you go to open up the oven and frogs just start pouring out the oven. And then you go uh, to bed at night, you know, and, and, and you lay down in bed and ah, you know, the frogs are jumping all over your feet. And I can't imagine that it, it, what the smell was like. I mean, just disgusting. Frogs are nasty little creatures. They're loud. Can you imagine that? Now, we're talking about big frogs, not those quiet little toads. We're talking about big frogs that go, your bullfrogs, you know, all night long, you're hearing those. And so just imagine this is going on throughout the entire land of Egypt. Can't imagine how bad it was. And it seems like finally, finally, God has gotten through to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's finally going to, uh, to do what God says to do. It took a frog infestation. But he's at least going to do what God said. If you look with me at verse number eight, it says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord. That means supplicate, pray, intercede on my behalf that, that, to that he may take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And so finally, he's, what's happened here is his magicians... They, that's the astounding thing. I didn't even get to that yet. The magicians, instead of, instead of Pharaoh immediately saying, okay, okay, God's God, I'm done with the frogs. You know what he says? He said, hey, magicians, come here. Call up more frogs. <laughs> you know? And so now the magicians are making more frogs come. And I mean, this thing is just disgusting. That shows you how hard Pharaoh's heart is. But this infestation finally brings into the place where he says, okay, okay. Ask God to take the frogs away. I'll let you go. I'll let you sacrifice. And so then we see in verse 9, and Moses said unto Pharaoh, glory over me. That, that just means this, um, the power is in your hands. It's okay. The power is in your hands. When shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and the houses that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. <laughs> I, I still don't get why not tonight, but he says tomorrow, we'll take the frogs out tomorrow. But here's what's going on. Moses wants Pharaoh to understand that the departure of the frogs is no accident. There's not something weird, not something natural that happened. I want you to know, you name when, I'll go to God 
and I'll entreat according to your word and let it be done according to your word. Because you continue reading in verse uh, number, number uh, 10, it says, be it according to thy word that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And he said, tomorrow at your word, the frogs are going to dissipate out of the land. And so the next day comes and the frogs die out in the houses and the villages and the fields. And then they start shoveling up and wheelbarrowing these heaps and heaps and heaps of frogs and piling up into these great mountains outside the city. And it says the entire land stank. The only thing worse smelling than a living frog is a pile of dead frogs. This is disgusting. What I want you to get is this. That because Pharaoh's heart was hard, God had to force his hand in order for him to let the people go. In World War II, the U.S. was doing everything that we could to stay out of that war. After the devastation of World War I, we just wanted no part of it, much to the chagrin of our allies and our enemies. But on December 7, 1941, when those Japanese bombers flew into Hawaii and bombed Pearl Harbor, we had no choice. The only way for the U.S. to make a move was for somebody to force our hand, and the Japanese did. Listen, when your heart is hard, the only way that you'll obey God is if he forces your hand. See, there's a lot of people that, that they become so hard-hearted toward God, the only way for him to get through to them, the only way for him to get them to make a move in his direction is for him to force their hand. That it takes a drunk a night in jail and a DUI before he stops drinking. Or that, that uh, they got to go to rehab before they stop doing drugs. Or that they got to end up on the streets before they stop being wasteful with their money. Or that they end up in a hospital before they surrender to God's will. Or it might be that their marriage has to be in complete shambles before a man decides he's going to stop looking at things he shouldn't be looking at. Or that he's going to stop cheating. Or that he's going to stop going around his wife. Uh, That for some, for them to obey God, they've got to be in the pits. The frogs got to be destroying their houses. The frogs have to be crawling all over them before they'll finally submit and cave and decide to obey God. And here's what they do. They decide, okay, when I get out, I'm going to start going to church. When I get out of this situation, when my situation improves, then I'll start doing what God wants me to do. And so they begin to, what happens is God is pressing his hand upon them and it's his hand being pressed upon them that is leading them to finally make a move and do what God says. But what, let me just say this, hard-hearted obedience will only last until the situation improves. Look at verse 15. It says this, But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, you know, that word means relief, relaxation, rest. When he saw that the frogs were gone and finally they could rest, they could breathe. They got some relief from this plague. Look what it says. He hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. See, it's easy when you're in the pits to say, I'm going to do right. I'm going to obey God. When my situation improves, I'll do what God said to do. But then what happens is when life gets easier, when the pressure is relieved, 
when the situation improves, then what happens is when you get out of jail, when you get out of rehab, when you get off probation, or when your marriage is on the upward swing, you end up going back to the same sins you were involved in before that landed you there in the first place. Why? Because the heart is hard to God. Understand this. If you are his child, yes, he's going to pressure you. He's going to chasten you. He's going to bring some things into your life that are designed to turn you back to him. But if you become a compliant rebel, you are still a rebel at heart. If you say, okay, because of what God's doing in my life, now I'm going to do what's right. Then when God stops bringing that judgment into your life, you're going to go back to doing what's wrong. Why? Because your heart is hard. It's a symptom of a hard heart. And so a hard heart, first of all, only obeys God when his hand is forced. Number two, a hard heart refuses to obey God when God's authority is made clear. He refuses to obey God when God's authority is made clear. In the next play, God makes it clear that, that uh, his authority surpasses all other gods, and yet Pharaoh still refuses to accept God's authority in the situation. This time, God tells Aaron to take his rod, and he's to smite the dust of the ground. There's a lot of dust in Egypt, a lot of sand. And he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to smite the dust of the ground and the dust of the ground is going to become lice. Lice. <laughs> uh, now this word for lice, it's also uh, refers to other like little annoying blood sucking bugs. So it could be gnats. It could be mosquitoes. Either way, whether you've got lice in your hair or mosquitoes biting you or gnats buzzing around in your ear, that is obnoxious. <laughs> That's irritating to no end. They're flying in your eyes. They're flying in your mouth, you know, and it says that he smites it. Now, Pharaoh, again, denies to do what God says to do. So Aaron smites the dust and whoosh, all the dust in all the land of Egypt, the dust, the, the loose particles, it all became lice in man and in beast. That's disgusting. <laughs> so then what happens is a man is being afflicted by these things. The beasts are being afflicted by these. And you know what Pharaoh does? Hey, magicians, here we go again. <laughs> he calls the magicians over. And so they do their enchantments. But this time it says they could not. They could not. They can't figure out why. Man, I've, we've been able to do all these other things up to this point. The power of our gods, these demonic spirits that are disguising themselves as Egyptian gods, they've been able to reproduce everything that God has done. But I want you to look at verse uh, number 19. It says this, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. They said, We can't do this. Our gods can't do this. This is the finger, and, and he, they use this generic term, so it's not like they're necessarily converting to Jehovah. What they're saying is this, whatever God is doing, this is better than our God, <laughs> stronger than our God. This is, the, the finger would be a demonstration of power. And so what they're literally telling Pharaoh is this, their God is more powerful than our God's. 
And if their God is more powerful than our gods, their God is more powerful than you, Pharaoh. (laughs) You ever been trying to get a point across to somebody and they're just not getting it? You say something smart like this. Do you need me to draw you a picture? (laughs) God is drawing Pharaoh a picture here. He's saying, I'm going to make all the dust lice and your magicians aren't going to be able to do it. And I'm going to display I'm more powerful than their gods. God has made it abundantly clear that he is the supreme sovereign ruler over all. There's none like him, none more powerful than him. And you would think at this point that Pharaoh would say, I can see it now. The light has come on. But what you find in verse 19 is it says this, Pharaoh's heart was hardened And he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. A hard heart refuses to obey God when God's authority is made clear. See, God has given us his word as an authoritative guide of our lives. His mind, his thoughts, the way he has set up life to work. And God's word is clear on a lot more areas than it is vague. It's clear. God's word is clear on marriage. He's against fornication. He is for marriage between one man, one woman for one lifetime. He's against divorce. Remember, Jesus said that Moses allowed for a divorce. Why? For the hardness of their hearts. You know, that tells us that's not God's plan. Oh, God's word tells us as well that if you are divorced, you're not supposed to remarry until your spouse dies. Now, that's a lifelong covenant. It gives us God's thought. God even says, here's my plan for singleness, purity, Keep your virginity. And in the gospel ministry, if you can maintain your virginity and not get married, then, then, then stay single for the sake of God's kingdom. Because when you get married, then you need to give your attention to your spouse. That's okay with God that spouses go out on dates, that spouses take vacations and, and all those things. That's good. God wants you to do that. But if you're single, he says, hey, be single if you can. But he said it's better to marry than to burn. And so if you can't be pure, then get married. Uh, God's pretty thorough when it comes to marriage. And yet, you know what happens? There are still so many believers who think it's perfectly okay to live together without being married. Who think it's perfectly okay to shack up together as long as it's only with one person. There are plenty who, who say divorce and remarriage is just fine. And I understand that's a very challenging and a very uh, hard situation. Very painful and, and the reason why is because that's not the way God wanted it to be. It was for the hardness of hearts that divorce was even made possible in the first place, but it wasn't God's plan from the beginning. He's clear on marriage, yet here's what you find. Where God's authority is made clear, there are still those who refuse to obey it. Why? The heart is hard. The Bible is, uh, it clearly warns against alcohol, yet many Christians only point to the drunkenness side of things. The Bible is clear about tithing, and yet many people write it off as Old Testament. The Bible is clear that husbands are to show love to their wives as Christ showed love to the church by giving himself for it, and yet there are still angry, selfish, abusive husbands out there. The Bible is clear that wives are to show respect and submission uh, to their husbands, and yet many wives verbally emasculate their husbands in front of their friends. That they might show submission, but in ways that are not respectful at all. It happens. 
Why does that happen? Well, God has given us the final authority of his word and his authority has been made crystal clear on a plethora of issues. But if you refuse to accept God's authority where it's made clear, it's a symptom that your heart is hard. Why? Because a hard heart refuses to obey God when God's authority has been made clear. And so if there's something that the word of God is very clear about and you're just refusing to obey it, that is evidence that your heart is hard. Your heart is hard. See, hard-heartedness drastically affects our obedience. It gets you to a place where you only obey when God forces your hand. It gets you to a place where you refuse to obey what God's made clear. But I want you to see a, a third way. A hard heart only obeys God when God meets his conditions. A hard heart only obeys God when his conditions are met. What we see here is yet another plague and Pharaoh finally appears to be ready to obey God, but only on the terms he chooses to set. The Lord tells Moses in verse 20 that he's to rise up early. He's to go and appear before Pharaoh and he's to forewarn him to let God's people go or else he is going to bring a swarm of flies. <laughs> flies are irritating little creatures, especially up in the mountains here. You know, down, down here, they're kind of scared of you. So if you get close, then, then the flies will fly off and leave you alone. But you could be sitting up in the mountains camping out, and those things will just come and sit on you. And they won't leave you alone. And you'll have five of them on your neck and, and eating your food and all these things. I mean, flies are annoying, but I've never been around a swarm of flies like God's talking about here. It's going to fill their houses. Now, we've got kids, and so they leave the doors open, and so the flies come in. And we got flies all over our house, and it's like five or six of them. And you know what I'm doing with the fly swatter? Chasing them. My dog's annoyed by them too, because she's always trying to eat them out of midair. So flies are annoying, but it's nothing compared to what they were going through. Nothing compared to it. God tells them that I'm going to bring this swarm of flies. But I want you to notice in verse 23, he says, And I will put a division between my people and thy people. So now God's going to demonstrate his power in a new and unique way. I'm going to bring the swarm of flies, but not to the land of Goshen, but to all the rest of the land of Egypt. So now there's going to be this one patch up here by the Mediterranean in the land of Goshen, and there's not going to be any flies there, but the flies are going to swarm the rest of the land. Well, Pharaoh disregards what God says again. Refuses to let the people go. And so here comes the swarm of flies. And it says in verse 24, the Lord did so. And there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servant's house and into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted. It was ruined. It was destroyed by the flies. They ate all the crops. They destroyed all the plants. They, they ruined everything here. And at last, in verse 25, Pharaoh calls for Moses and for Aaron and said, go ye sacrifice to the Lord your God, but notice this condition in the land. Where had 
Moses and Aaron told Pharaoh that they were to go and sacrifice to God in the wilderness. And so now Pharaoh is saying, listen, okay, okay, okay. Go and ask the Lord to take the flies away. I'll let you go. Just don't go to the wilderness. As long as you stay in the land, I'll let you go. Moses objects in verse 26. And he says, it's not meat to do so. What that means is he's saying, those are not God's terms. God has told us to go out of the wilderness. And besides that, what we're going to be offering to God is going to be seen as abomination in the sight of the Egyptians. And that means that if we're in the land and we're offering these sacrifices and they see us offering these sacrifices to a God that is not theirs, then they're going to stone us. They're going to kill us. He's seeing through Pharaoh's trickery here. Pharaoh's saying, all right, I'll let you go, but you got to do it in the land. And he knows what's going to happen when his people see them offering these sacrifices to another God. But Moses says, no, that's, that's not the deal. God's told us, by the way, do you notice the change taking place in Moses here? He's not really scared of Pharaoh anymore. God's convinced somebody here of his power, and that's Moses and Aaron. He says, no, those aren't God's terms. God's terms is that we are to go three days into the wilderness. Three days is quite a distance. Because what we're going to find is that they're traveling by day and by night. And so they don't ever stop. In Deuteronomy, it talks about how God carried them through the wilderness on eagles' wings. That means he made it light for them. It wasn't hard to travel. And so they kept going, and they kept going, and they kept going. And by the way, we're going to get into some more archaeological things here as we get into the Exodus. But what this tells us is that where God was sending them into the wilderness was not in the Sinai Peninsula. It was on the other side of the Sinai Peninsula, which is why you don't find any uh, chariots or archaeological records on the Gulf of Suez, because that's not the parting of the Red Sea that the Bible's talking about, because they had to go three straight days by day, by night, across the wilderness to the Red Sea. And so we're going to get into some of those things in the coming weeks. But what the point is this, because also remember this, Midian is on the total other side of the Sinai Peninsula. Medan is what it's called today. And so that's the area of Midian. That's where Moses was when God appeared to him in Sinai. It's far away from Egypt. And so uh, what he's telling Pharaoh is, no, we're not supposed to do it in the land. We're supposed to do a three days journey. We're supposed to do it far off into the wilderness. But notice what Pharaoh says in uh, verse number 28. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away and treat for me. And so what you have here is that Pharaoh appears to be obedient here in verse 28, but he adds this stipulation again that you're saying you're going to go three days journey into the wilderness. Here's what I'm saying. I'll let you go. Just don't go that far. So what you find here is that Pharaoh is willing to obey God not on God's terms, but on his terms. A while back, I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, has been going through quite a, a struggle of life, and, and he's been dealing with a tough divorce and, and alcohol, anxiety, depression, and all those things. And I was uh, getting to know him a little bit, and he said that when he was in his younger years, he used to do a lot of business travel by plane, and, and he hated flying. <laughs> 
It was the most fearful thing for him, but he had to do it all the time. It was what his job required. And so uh, he, he would be there, and maybe you've experienced this as well, that you're flying, and then all of a sudden you hit some turbulence, and the plane like starts, you know, dropping, and it feels like you're on a roller coaster of the Tower of Doom at Elitches, and you're falling, and, and, and maybe it's starting to shake and stuff. He said that he would grab onto the armrest and white-knuckle that thing, and he would pray this, God, if you get me through this, I'll serve you forever. God, if you, if you keep me safe, I'll give you my life. I'll go to church. I'll do whatever you want me to do if you'll get me through this. And you know what he told me? God always got me through it. God always held up his end of the deal, but I never held up my end of the deal. He's trying to find his way back to God now. See, here's what a hard heart does. God, I'll obey you if you do it on my terms. God, if you fix my marriage, then I'll get in church. God, if you repair my marriage, then I'll stop looking at things on the internet. Then I'll stop cheating. Then I'll stop yelling at my wife. I'll change. I promise you, I'll change if you'll save my marriage. There's some that say, God, if you come through, if you give me a job that makes this amount of money, then I'll give this to you. Again, faith promises coming up. God, if you give me this extra amount, then I'll give this extra amount to you. That's how a hard heart operates. That God, if you'll, if you'll bring me through this financial crisis, then I'll get back to tithing and I'll get back to giving my missions. God, if you'll get me out of rehab, I'll stay off drugs forever. God, if you'll, if you'll get my husband to stop yelling at me, then I'll respect him. And what you find happening is that you're telling God, okay, I'll obey if you'll meet my conditions. And that is a symptom of a hard heart. And what you find happening is this, the same thing that my friend found out. You do that with God God will likely hold up his end of the deal. Why? Because he's gracious. Because he's merciful. Because he's willing, as we're seeing in the book of Exodus, to go to great lengths to convince you of his power and his might and his grace and his plan for your life. But here's what you'll find to be true. When God holds up his end of the deal, you drop your end of the deal. That when God improves the marriage, the man goes back to the computer. When God improves the marriage, he goes back to yelling at his wife. When God improves his family relationships and repairs that together, he goes back to the same hard-hearted responses to his children. That when, when the man stops yelling at the wife, but then he starts yelling at the wife again, then she stops respecting him again. Goes back to the old ways again. Why is that? God is faithful, but we are not. We're fallen. We're broken. We're all a lot more like Pharaoh than we are like Jesus. And so when God holds up his end of the deal, if your heart is hard, 
If that's the way you came to obedience is to say, God, if you do this, if you meet my conditions, then I will obey. You approached God with a hard heart. And the most likely thing in your life is when God, when God holds up his side, you're going to go back to the way that you used to be. Why? Because you came to him with a hard heart. See, hard heartedness dramatically affects our obedience. It'll bring you to the place where you only obey God if he forces your hand. You'll refuse to obey God when God's authority is made clear. And you'll obey God, but only on your terms. And so the question for us tonight is this. If we have this hardened condition, first of all, how can it be fixed? How can it be changed? How can I come to a place where I'm no longer being forced to obey? How can I come to a place where I'm just simply accepting God's word as he says it? How can I come to a place where I'm no longer obeying God on my terms, but on God's terms? How can I come to a place where my heart, hard heart is done away with? Well, let's think about Pharaoh for a second. He's come to this place where he's this hard and the hardness is affecting his obedience. But how could this all have been different? If when God first approached him, he would have said, you are God. I am not. Whatever you say is what I'll do. You know what that is? Full surrender. Full submission. And so there's a couple ways that we can look at this tonight. Number one is this. If my heart is not yet hard, how can I make sure my heart does not get hard? And the answer is this full surrender that when God first approaches you with a new truth from the word, instead of resisting it, accept it. Even if you don't understand it all, accept it, fully surrender to what God's making clear to you. Fully surrender to what God's telling you to do. Fully surrender the calling God is placing on your life. And if when God first approaches you, you just say, you are God, I am your servant, I am bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, I belong to you, do with me, as Mary said, whatever you want to do. She said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, whatever your will is, is what I'll do. That'll keep you tender That'll keep you from becoming hard-hearted toward the Lord. What if my heart's already hard? Well, is God approaching you tonight? Is God applying the pressure to you? Is some part of your life in shambles right now? In confusion? Is your marriage struggling right now? Are your finances struggling right now? Is your health struggling right now? We can't always attribute all of those to the chastening of God, but we can't just dismiss that it might be the chastening of God. If the pressure is on your life, rather than being like Pharaoh and seeing everything laid out in front of you and saying, no, I've come this far, I'm not going back. Just fully surrender to God. Just do what he's saying. And if you'll come to a place where you will repent 
and acknowledge your sin before God and turn from your wicked ways <laughs> and you'll call on Christ for forgiveness at the foot of the cross, forgiveness can be found for even the hardest of hearts. And so wherever you're coming from, if you're concerned about hard-hearted obedience and the way it affects your life and your relationship with God, just be of this mindset, full surrender. Full surrender. I've, I've got a dog that's kind of, well, it's hard to walk her. Very challenging to walk her. Uh, even from the time she was a puppy. I could manhandle her a little bit more when she was a puppy. Not so much now. <laughs> but I'll go for a walk on her, and, and, and she's got this propensity to just pull and jerk me around and drag me around the whole time. You know, I'm just thinking, you know, it's about, it's about 545, 6 o'clock in the morning, just trying to get some sunshine, get out of the office, go out and get some exercise, and, and, and I'll be walking with her, and I'm just wanting to enjoy it getting to see the sunrise as I'm walking that way. And then as I'm coming back, seeing the sun reflecting off the mountains. I mean, it's pretty awesome out there walking my dog, except when she's dragging me all over the place. But it's not enjoyable for her either. You know why I can tell that? Because here's what I hear the whole time. <laughs> you know, she's choking herself on the collar. And so last year I was like, all right, I'm going to try to get something, you know, around the, uh, the fall time, I think it was. It's like, all right, so they've got these little plastic uh, pinch collars that, that don't do a lot of damage. It, they don't do any damage, really. <laughs> but I, I was like, okay, we'll try that, you know, and it'll squeeze on the neck a little bit, and, you know, maybe she'll be fine. No, she didn't care. She built up enough resistance. And so she's pulling and pulling and pulling, you know, and I'm walking her a couple weeks ago, really started getting back into this again, and and yeah, you hear it all over again, even with one that's supposed to make her uncomfortable. You just hear that. <laughs> By the time we get back from the walk, my arm is numb from, you know, trying to hold this dog back. She is like, I mean, panting like crazy, can barely drink any water. She's, you know, laying down on her side as soon as we get in there. I mean, we're just both worn out. And to be honest with you, a little bit frustrated. I think both of us are. And so I was like, what can I do about this? And I found out about these collars. They're called, oh, now I got it all messed up here. Really? <laughs> this is why you don't put things in my wife's bag. <laughs> so these are called prong collars. Um, and... So they've got these, I mean, very soft spikes. These are, you know, a lot of people freak out about these. I, I watched a lot of videos on how to do this. You do it the right way. It does not hurt at all. I put this on my kids' arms just to show them. You know, here's, here's what it does. So instead of all of the weight being pulled right here at the trachea, you know, on her Adam's apple, which is what's causing her to go, uh, what happens is it just, it, it evenly distributes it and, and it makes it uncomfortable. It doesn't hurt her. It makes it uncomfortable for her in whichever direction this thing is pulling. 
And so uh, what happened is I started working with her on this and I put the collar around her neck and just kind of let her, let her get used to it and everything. And, and even just with it on her, she was a lot calmer without the leash on it. Um, so it did something. We put it up right behind their ears. So it's not, it's not choking them at all. And what happens is, is you begin to work with her. And when she goes to pull this way, you know, if I, I, I don't, I don't, there are some that will, you know, pop this thing and that gives them, they say that gives them the, you know, when they were messing up as a puppy, mom would, you know, bite them by the neck like that and get them to stop doing whatever they're doing. And so it gives them that sensation, but you don't actually even have to do that to train these dogs. Uh, what would happen is when she starts pulling this way, I just hold it still. And then when she goes back against the resistance, you say, yes, good. That's all you give her a little treat. And then, and then when she's pulling this way, then she, you know, she'll resist, she'll pull a little bit. And then she comes back and you say, yes, that's what you need to do. If she's pulling away from me, you know, and I'm pulling back, she'll take a couple steps back and yes, good, good girl. That's what I want you to do. Give, give her a treat. And what that's doing is it's giving her information that when you feel this pull, if you come back, it's going to feel a lot better. You're not going to be as uncomfortable it's not going to be a straining on you. And so I worked with her just around the house for the first uh, couple of days and just working on that, you know, getting her to resist this thing. And then I go to take her for a walk on uh, Tuesday and she was like a completely different dog. She did not pull against me. She, I, I even had the, you know, usually this is what the leash looks like when I'm walking her. It was like that a lot of times. And, and so what happens is the, the tug was designed to say, come back my way. And so she'd come back my way. And when she started pulling away, if I pulled on it, she'd come back my way. What'll happen is this. If she keeps pulling and pulling and pulling, she's going to be very uncomfortable, first of all, but she's also going to build up a resistance to it to where it doesn't make any difference anymore. And we're going to be back to the frustration again. She's going to be back to being worn out again and not enjoying it. But what, what she quickly learned was if when you feel that tug, you come on back, that they'll enjoy the walk a whole lot better. If you quit pulling against your master, you'll be able to enjoy the walk a lot better. A lot of times as Christians, we're constantly pulling away from God. So I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I don't want to go where God wants me to go. I don't want to obey God's word and what he's telling me to do. And we're constantly pulling and pulling and pulling. And where Pharaoh's at right now, he's been pulling for so much. He's built up a resistance and nothing God does is going to do anything to convince him to do what God says. But here's what happens. Sometimes we get going so wild, God has to He's got to pop that chain on us. He does have to bring something into our hearts, into our lives. And if we continue to resist, we're just going to hurt ourselves and we'll never enjoy the relationship with God that he wanted us to enjoy. But if when he pulls back on us, when he pops that chain, when he brings it into our lives, and instead of pulling and resisting, we turn back. That's what my dog does now. As we're walking, as soon as she feels it, she, she looks back at me. If instead of resisting God, we'll turn back and look at him.
and we'll let his correction do its work of turning our hearts back to him, then we'll come to the place where eventually our hard heart is softened. We're a lot more sensitive to the tugs. It more quickly brings us back to God. And here's what we'll find. We can enjoy a relationship with God without the tension, without the stress, without the fear, without the trouble. Why? Because our heart's been changed. That can only happen through Jesus Christ. We sang the song, Oh Great God. It talks about how before Christ, we were hard to God, had no ears to hear his voice. We didn't want to do what God wanted us to do. Our heart was naturally hard or our, heart, our eyes were naturally blind. And yet when the gospel pierced through our hearts and we accept Christ as our savior, he changes that in our lives. And he can change that in your life tonight if you've never accepted him as your savior. But if you've become hard and God's applying pressure, turn back to him. Repent, seek forgiveness, and forgiveness will be found for even the hardest of hearts. And then what you can do is eventually I'm going to get to the place where the dog doesn't need this anymore. And even with her regular collar, a little tug on that is going to get her going back the right way. And that's how it can be in your life. If you'll come before God, acknowledge your hardness, and let him change you. But if you go on in your hardness, you're going to find that it makes obedience very hard. But remember, obedience is not hard. You're hard. And let that bring you to change. Lord, we come to you tonight grateful for the prodding work that you do in our lives to convince us when we've gone the wrong way to convince us of our need to turn back to you. And I'm thankful that by your grace, when we turn back to you, you forgive. And you can soften that heart again and bring us back to a place where it's not hard to obey, where it's a joy, a blessing, and a thrill because we can walk in a peaceful relationship with you the way that you created us to. And so I pray for anyone here tonight whose heart may be hardened. I pray that they would allow your pressure and your work in their lives, your chastening hand to draw them back to you. I pray that for those who are, are not yet hardened, that they would take this and just fully submit and surrender to whatever you would have them to do and it would keep them from that hard heart. However you need to speak tonight, Lord, I trust that you are, and I ask you to help us to respond. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.